You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? Doing fantastic. How about you? I'm good, man. It's good to hear. I'm glad you're doing good. Are you? Yeah. Something about that seems insincere. I'm reasonably glad. Maybe it's just our everything about our history together. Might be. A lot of stuff bubbling to the surface here Monday afternoon, as is often the case. You're wearing a shirt that I, I also have the same shirt. Well, I'm glad you didn't show up wearing this shirt. We'd look like a couple of clowns over here on the live stream. I just, we're going to have to start keeping a spreadsheet of all the clothes I own that you also own. Because I swear to God, if we run into another scenario where I show up dressed exactly like you, we're both going to have a lot of hard questions to face about what this podcast has done to our lives. More spreadsheets. That's what I'm looking yeah. to get get into my life. Ben, I want, you, I want to read you a text that okay. I got uh, Saturday night um, from a mutual friend of ours who I would describe as a guy who used to be a hardcore MMA fan, now is more of a casual viewer. All right. He writes... Flipping through the channels, and I stumble upon a live Bellator show on free TV. Then Benson Henderson issues a long overdue wake-up call to pro fighters everywhere. All right, Bellator, you've got me for tonight. Huh, that's what, it, that's what got him? And then I followed up. The next day, I was like, follow-up, did they hook you in? And then he writes back, what, for the finals of their heavyweight tournament? To quote the great chemo, we'll see what's up. <laughs> All right, so... Benson Henderson and his weird post-fight diatribe gets you in the door, and then the heavyweight Grand Prix keeps you in the seat. That's what you're telling me? Well, this is obviously extremely anecdotal okay. in terms of evidence. So but, the sample size needs to be a little bigger. But since we have had so many conversations lately about DAZN, the magical land called DAZN, Days in. this text made me think, you know, for a long time we've posited that Spike TV slash Paramount Network's uh, viewership strategy oftentimes seem to have a lot to do maybe with people just flipping around the dial, stumbling across a Kimbo Slice fight or whatever it happened to be. Is this yet another layer of evidence, Ben, of why going streaming for Bellator is maybe not a great idea? Well, yeah, you, you can't really stumble across stuff on a stream unless you're hoping that people are buying the days in because they want to get in on the cycling and cricket action. And then they're also going to be like, you know what? Professional cage fighting, that sounds like something I'll, I'll give a whirl. You lose that with the streaming service. But then this one was on both Days In and on the Paramount Network. And we had Bellator Friday and Saturday night. That's a lot of Bellator. You just, you gotta love you some Bellator to you really do. want to hit up both those nights. Big news this week for the uh, co-main event podcast, Ben. We're going to set a date officially for the co-main event podcast book club, wherein we will be reading the Sisters Brothers. That's right. Just Patrick saw DeWitt. Just saw this week that uh, maybe the movie was a huge bomb. Oh, no. Maybe lost a ton of money. Uh-oh. So, uh, it just came out, didn't it? I believe that its run in theaters may already be over. What? Because uh, what? it lost so much money. Are you fucking with me right now? I just saw it on the Twitter machine. So you, if you want to... Is that how they do it? Like you, get, you just open up in the theaters and if you don't make... A billion dollars in the first weekend, they yank you? 
Because there's nothing going on in movie theaters. I know that this is a hard lesson for you on the cutthroat nature of the movie business, but I, maybe sometimes that's how it goes, man. It's like they're only in it for the money, man. Yeah, weird, right? I don't get it. Anyway, we still highly recommend The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. Yeah. Can't speak to the movie, but the novel is amazing. It's right up there, above to the left of Ben's shoulder. That's right. Somewhere uh, between my shoulder and the weird little picture of a, is that a duck fishing that you have on your bookcase? Yeah, it appears to be a duck uh, casting a line, just seeing what, what he hauls in. You may also notice that the Sisters Brothers is right under the uncaged. Look at that. Product oh, placement right how, there. How about that? MMA's card game. Uncaged. Totally not planned. We're going to do the book club on Friday, November 30th. Boom. And that's going to be available for all co-main event podcast listeners. So you get the book now. You got basically a month and a half to read it. And it's a pretty quick read. Yeah, it's a good book. We've been recommending it for a long time on this podcast, and I'm not sure we've ever heard from anyone who didn't like it. Yeah. Now, it could just be that the people who didn't like it didn't feel it necessary to reach out to us to let us know that they didn't like it, but that goes against everything that I have learned about social media. That's <laughs> true. So uh, I feel like reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. Well, and if it turns out you don't like it, show your work. We'd like to hear from you. and Let's hear your case for why you don't like it. Absolutely. So everyone go pick up The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. Let's all get started so we don't have to cram that in at the end like many of you do with, did with Fletch. I know that stresses you out. All right, let's talk about the Patreon, Ben. We got exciting news there as well. Are we ready to do this? Are we announcing uh, rewards for the different tiers of Patreon stuff? Here's what I'm prepared to do. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little used car salesman style. Here's what I can do for you. Okay. Now, wait. Before we start this, all of this stuff kicks in when we get to 800 Patreons, correct? That, that's correct. Okay. But it is retroactive to everybody who is on the list. By yeah. Then. If you're in, if you're in the barn, by the time the barn door closes at 800 Patreons... <laughs> Then you're you get the you get the rewards. You get the things you that are be, inside the barn. You will waiting. be handsomely rewarded with That's what's right. inside the barn. Here's what we're gonna do for you. If you are a one dollar patron, we will go to the actual post office and mail you the co-main event podcast official sticker. How you like that? Logo sticker. Logo sticker of the new we co-main have had event made professionally. New co-main event podcast lightning bolt logo. Pretty sweet. Now, if you are a $5 patron when the barn door closes, not only will you get the sticker, you will also, Chad, are you ready for this? I, I don't know. I don't know if I am or not. You will also get a CME official beer koozie. What? That's right. You will also get access to a coming... Feature we would like to describe as the CME Power Hour. Patreon Power Hour. The Patreon Power Hour. Now, this is big news. This is is legitimately big news. Pretty huge news. Where basically it's an extra supplemental short audio that we are going to give to you. Now. Well, it's not going to be that short if it's the Power Hour. Well, It's a whole additional hour of us talking about stuff. And it's powerful. Per week. Or are we going to do it every week? We can do it every week. Okay. The co-main event podcast, Patreon Power. That's. That's that, a big deal. And it comes with a beer koozie. And all you have to do is five bucks a month. That's like, you know, even for these the existing episodes, that's like $1.25 an episode. You throw in the power hour, you're paying under a buck per, per listen here. So you slide a soda pop into the koozie. Yep. You sit back. You listen to the power hour, which I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. It's an additional <laughs> podcast every week. 
Uh, if you are a $10 patron. Well, how can we top that, man? There's nothing we can do that's bigger than that. That's what you think until you hear that I'm willing to throw in all those other things. Okay. The, the, the CME sticker, the CME beer koozie, access to the power hour. Plus, you get our extra monthly newsletter, which we are calling Tips for the Well-Rounded Fight Fan. If you're just curious what me and Chad are reading or watching or listening to. Or eating. Or eating. A lot of my tips are going to be about what I'm eating, frankly. Okay. All right. I, I should have seen that coming. All that kind of stuff where it's just a grab bag of our recommendations to you and just various things that we are already talking with each other about and recommending to each other. We're going to throw those in an extra monthly newsletter called the Tips for the Well-Rounded Fight Fan. Uh, plus, if you're a $10 patron, you know what, Chad? I'm going to get really crazy. If you're a $10 patron when the barn door closes, you can email us with a discussion topic. What? And we will record just for you a short audio segment of Chad and I discussing, perhaps arguing, perhaps just questioning everything about our decision-making process here. But we will talk about your preferred topic and send that audio to you. We can't do that. We can and we will. All right. So to recap here, $10 patrons get a sticker. They get a koozie. That's right. They get the Patreon Power Hour every single week, which is a a completely different podcast. Correct. And they get the tips for the well-rounded fight fan. Yes. And they get the opportunity to email us with a topic, which we will then discuss slash debate just for them. Like a private private showing of the co-main event podcast. That is correct. Good Lord, Ben. I know. It all kicks off when we get to 800 patrons. You know where we're at right now? What are we at? 761. We are close. But because we're at 761, you know what that means? I think I do know what it means. It means that it's time for my computer to do what it does when I just type in I am and don't even get to finish it. And it's like, you're going for the Channing Tatum bio, aren't you? Yes, I am. You ready for your Channing Tatum fact of the week, Chad? Uh, Unfortunately, I guess I am. Moved from Alabama to Mississippi at age six, where his family... Lived on a bayou. This has been your Channing Tatum fact of the week. Deep cuts for that one. Way back. <laughs> There's in a the lot stats. of these. You have no idea. This list goes on and on. I'm just still scrolling right now. I can't wait. Don't don't make me get into personal quotes because when, there is a personal quotes section on the IMDB uh, page, and man, some of these, well, they're personal. When are we done with this? No more Channing Tatum facts when we get to 800? Is that is that where we call it off? Well, that's when we, I think that, well, okay. I'll say, I'll at least call off the Channing Tatum quotes when we get to 800 and the barn door closes. When we, we get to 900, the day of reckoning drinking challenge kicks in. Lots of stuff on, on tap, so to speak. Patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from our friend The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check him out over on Twitter at the fifth element or facebook.com slash the fifth element or soundcloud.com slash the fifth element official. And as you guys all know by now, that's the word the with an A. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it's Fedor versus Bador. The final yep. of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix is now set. If nothing else, it'll already go down in history as the tournament where Chael Sonnen somersaulted his way into an ass-kicking. And in round number two, UFC 230 gives us the beautiful travesty that is Daniel Cormier versus Derek Lewis. 
Will the MMA gods smite DC? Will America's dad kill America's cool uncle live on pay-per-view? Will the Black Beast test the limits of how high a man can fly on the basis of his balls being hot? And in round number three, it's a fight book in Bonanza starring Johnny Bones, Lusty Gusty, Shoot 'em Up Shevchenko, and Joanna, former champion. Plus, the underground king is maybe headed back to the underground. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dean Doniker. Not sure if that's a legit name or not, but we'll roll on. Sounds like the alter ego of a superhero. Yeah, mild-mannered reporter Dean Doniker. Uh-huh. Guys, a couple weeks ago, one or both of you said you thought maybe Conor McGregor should fight GSP, win, lose, or draw for UFC 229. Now that we've seen him get mauled by Habib, though, it's your dude Nermi who is calling for a fight with St. Pierre. Discuss that potential matchup, if you please. Now, what about this, Ben? Kind of flipping uh, previous co-main event podcast logic on its head here. The idea that George St. Pierre against Habib Nurmagomedov following his victory over Conor McGregor at UFC 229. What do you think about this matchup? I think GSP is too smart for this. You don't think he's going to sign up to uh, climb in the cage with the Eagle, the undefeated Eagle? No, I do not. Well, I mean, I think in a way it fits a lot of his categories that he set out for what would get him to take another fight at this point where you know money obviously right adding to the legacy pretty big time addition to the legacy there right if he could become a three division ufc champ right and like a fight that just seems exciting to him now his previous discussions about Nurmagomedov suggested that gsp knew he might be in for a night of work if he had to go fight Nermi at this point. I think that could be true of anyone on the face of the earth. Right. Almost anyone could be in for a night of work. And so if you're GSP right now, you don't exactly need the money. You know the UFC, if you wait around and they get desperate enough, might toss you a a payday softball against somebody like Conor McGregor. That's still not... That ship has not left the harbor. You might still get that one. Yeah. What is it going to take to convince you to, one, cut all the way down to 155 pounds... And then get in there with that damn monster Nurmagomedov. Yeah. I guess he would have to be super interested in becoming the champ, champ, champ. And maybe there's a little bit of pride on the line here. As you know, we all know, George St. Pierre basically transformed himself from a karate style fighter into one of the most dominant MMA wrestlers of all time. And did so basically without all that much of an, of a, like a formal amateur wrestling background. One of the, you know, we don't talk about that aspect of it a ton, but that's like, in my opinion, one of the most impressive athletic feats probably in the history of the sport. Now, maybe it's a case of pride. You think GSP seeing uh, Nurmagomedov with his takedowns and top control ground and pound, uh, maybe for lack of a better term, like a, a, a 21st century version of George St. Pierre. And maybe he wants to go out there and prove uh, that his style reigns supreme. Maybe, but George St. Pierre has always struck me as one of those guys who is smart enough that he's not going to let pride fuck around and get him hurt. And that seems like what it could do here in this kind of a matchup. I just think that St. Pierre is a guy capable of doing the math on all of this. Not only the likelihood that it would be an extremely tough fight, but also the likelihood that he could get some easier, bigger paydays somewhere else. And... Also, the possibility that he might not need to do any of it. Right. Like he, can, he has that benefit where he can just sit on the side, and if the right offer never comes to him and he never gets in there and fights again, 
so what? He's still one of the greatest to ever do it, and he's got a ton of damn money. Yeah. Would it be a test of the, at this point, alleged Habib Nurmagomedov drawing power in the wake of the UFC 229 victory and the uh, and the brawl in the in the stands? I've seen it posited on social media here and there that maybe Nurmagomedov has positioned himself as like arguably the second or third biggest star in the UFC after beating Conor McGregor and then uh, flying like an eagle, so to speak, in his <laughs> in his haste to get at Dylan Danis down there amongst the civilians. Uh, we all know the people are going to turn out, we think, for a George St. Pierre pay-per-view. Right. You know, between 500 and 800,000 people historically tune in for those for those George St. Pierre pay-per-views. I wonder what kind of uh, uh, buy rate you get if you match him up with Nurmagomedov. I wonder if people, if the thing that people saw from Habib at UFC 229 uh, will get them to tune in to watch him to fight someone who is not named Conor McGregor. Yeah, I don't think you'll get you know, 2.4 million or whatever the early estimates are for the UFC 229 pay-per-view. But could you do a million pay-per-view buys with Nurmi and George St. Pierre on a strong undercard? I kind of think you could. The real test of his drawing power, though, would be to put him in there in just a regular old lightweight title defense that makes sense without a superstar opposite him like Conor McGregor or George St. Pierre. The real test of the drawing power is Nurmi versus Tony Ferguson. Yeah, And I don't think the UFC is that enthusiastic about testing the drawing power that way just yet. What about when Nurmagomedov soars into the crowd okay. to go after John Danaher? Wow. Following the GSP fight. Okay. And then Danaher probably crosses his arms in front of him and blasts Nurmagomedov back with some kind of force field. <laughs> All right. Chi power? Yeah. The power of his chi? Exactly. All right. Well, I mean, that's you just sold an extra half a million pay-per-view buys. Next question this week comes to us from Luca Modric who sounds like a European soccer player, if I've ever heard one. He writes, Since the 14th second of his fight against McGregor, Jose Aldo has been clamoring for a rematch. He's now upped it a gear and sent out a well-timed tweet asking for it once again. Could this be the right time for that? I understand McGregor has no title, uh, has little to no upside, and there's been some distance from the original fight. Uh, you can sure as hell guarantee it won't go down the same way, and I genuinely think there will be interest from the fan base at seeing it at 155, what say you? Ben, I've seen this notion floating around. Is the time right for Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, too, in the lightweight division? Yeah, good to hear from Real Madrid's Luka Modric. I knew it. I see. I, I can just tell from the names at this point. <laughs> you know, I don't hate that idea at all. Yeah, that's. Uh, we didn't talk about it, I don't think, when we first discussed the aftermath of UFC 229. But uh, I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and I think... If you're going to do it, if you were ever going to do it, and frankly, I think in a lot of ways, Conor McGregor was happy to put Jose Aldo in the rearview mirror yeah. and step on the gas. But now would be the time, I think, if that fight is ever going to be uh, marketable and uh, makeable again. Right. I like the wording of since the 14th second of his yeah, fight with I, Conor McGregor. I saw Jose, what he did there. Jose Aldo's been all over it, and he has. I just... I wonder how you motivate Conor McGregor to jump in there for that fight right now. I also wonder how how much he's really going to insist on the rematch. Because he did that, that tweet after the Nurmagomedov fight where it was just like, good knock, can't wait for the rematch. Right. I, I have really no interest in seeing that rematch right now. No, like we talked about this a little bit. I have no idea how you prop that one up. But if Conor McGregor absolutely insists if he says to the UFC don't even call my phone if it's not the words rematch coming out of your mouth on the other end then I could see the UFC being convinced to go ahead and do that 
I, I otherwise, if they come to him, you got to think that it's some kind of money fight idea, whether it's him in a different weight class, whatever. Him, them coming to him and saying like, "All right, how about a rematch with Jose Aldo at one fifty five? It's hard for me to see him, his eyes lighting up. Yeah, at yeah. that, especially if you buy into my theory that the thirteen second knockout, like, was it was fortunate that McGregor got that, and he was more than happy to to take that featherweight belt and throw it in his backpack and climb out of the cage and get on out of there. Yeah. Uh, well, whoever he fights again, it's going to be like you know, in the same way, Nurmagomedov's next fight will be a test of his drawing power. I think. McGregor's next fight will be a test of whether or not fans have walked away in the wake of seeing him kind of get handled the way he did by Nurmagomedov and eventually tap out to sort of a face crank there uh, in the championship rounds. And that, you know, ostensibly makes Conor McGregor's next opponent kind of important, not the not for the least of which is because you'd like he'd like to get a win, I assume, because it's been a while now since we saw Conor McGregor come out on the on the winning end of things. So I wonder, you know, a rematch with Habib Nurmagomedov might score a big buy rate. It seems at least somewhat risky to me to think that people would shell out money to watch that fight again. Uh, and I don't know that I would pick Conor McGregor again nope. on the way in. So nope. uh, I wonder if, if, if like the Nate Diaz trilogy or someone that he's already beaten like Jose Aldo actually would uh, be the smarter choice for Conor McGregor. I would think the Nate Diaz trilogy would sound better from a financial standpoint to all parties involved. The only problem is then you find yourself having to deal with a Diaz again. I've been thinking about this ever since UFC 229 went down, Ben. The brawl in the stands, which in the wake of the, of the fight kind of took over uh, the, the, con- the MMA consciousness. Did Conor McGregor luck out that like at this point we are talking a lot more about Nurmagomedov f- flying into the stands to fight Dylan Danis than we are about Conor McGregor getting kind of tooled by Nurmagomedov. And again, in the same way that he tapped out to Nate Diaz, like tapped out not in a questionable way, but like didn't quickly. Yeah. Quickly tapped out pretty quickly to Habib Nurmagomedov is that brawl in the stands, like kind of a, a a lucky break in some ways for the mystique of Conor McGregor. Yeah. It had occurred to me that in the other direction, I was thinking about it, that Habib really did himself a disservice because we would have been talking about just how absolutely dominant he was and the savagery of him ground and pounding Conor McGregor while asking him if he wanted to talk now. We would have been just focused entirely on that. And then he went and did the jumping in the in the crowd after Dylan Dennis thing, and that became all anybody could talk about for at least a week. So he kind of took away the shine from himself. I don't know if he took away a lot of the uh, damage to Conor McGregor, though. I, I think... Once people got over the fight outside the cage, they were really able to come back around to Conor McGregor totally kind of getting tooled up there. I don't think that that's lost, but I also don't. I also think that it kind of reveals what we had suspected before, which was that to some of the casual fans, they're going to wonder, "Hey, why is this guy a thing if he never wins any fights?" Because I've seen him fight, you know, Nurmagomedov and probably Floyd Mayweather, and he didn't win or even come close to winning either one of them. But I think to a lot of other people he gets to that point where he's famous for being famous yeah. and it doesn't matter that much if he doesn't win the fight. Next question came through on the, uh, the Patreon email. This is from Roland Bleasy. He writes, he failed to plan effectively for his hair. He won a decision and then gave a randomly indignant post fight speech. That's right. Benson Henderson is back, baby. So what's next for Bendo? I say, let Scotty coax sign Logan Paul. 
And there's a banger at the old days in the zone. Uh, Logan could talk all the, his shit and Benson could make him answer for it. He probably won't jump out of the cage afterwards either. Discourse. So Ben, did you watch this? Did you watch Benson Henderson's post-fight speech? I did. I'm going to read some of it here just for the people that didn't tune into Bellator on Saturday night. For me, you guys, it doesn't matter what you do, he said. You can be a reporter, a camera guy, a fighter. It doesn't matter what you do in life. It's all about how you conduct yourself, how you ask, how you act. Your sons, your daughters are going to watch uh, what, you're, what, you're, what you did, he continued. Uh, it's going to be on TV. How do you explain that? Oh, he talked to me bad, so I jumped off the cage. How are you going to explain that to your kids? Oh, he said something to me. Your son's going to be five years old, and he's going to say, this kid said something to me at school. What are you going to say? Go beat him up? No, watch how you conduct yourself. You're a professional athlete. You've got to hold yourself to a higher standard. Okay, first of all, I like the you could do anything in the world, you could be any job in the world, and he basically sounds like he's just listing off the things he can see. The jobs that are right in front of him <laughs> right at that moment. moment. Reporter, camera guy, fighter. You could be a guy who puts the cage up and takes it down at the end of the night. You could be an athletic commission official. Sell popcorn in the stands, man, whatever. All the, all the jobs All the that jobs exist. there are. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like you missed some of the tone of the moment in just reading it because it felt like the, the people in the crowd weren't even really sure what to make of it. It was like, it was a classic kind of awkward Benson Henderson moment where when you read it out, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of with you. I get where you're going with it. I, you know, you're, you're making some solid points at the time though, there was a little bit more of a feeling of what are you doing right now? What's well, what's the to, hope here? To be fair, that is sort of a classic Benson Henderson exactly uh, feeling to instill yeah. in your audience. Yes, you're not quite sure exactly where we're going here. Did you watch his fight? I did not see the whole thing. It was one of those fights where it, there was no question that he won it. He was accused of a little bit of Dundasso. Oh, nice! Both big ups by the referee and by Smooth. his opponent. Uh, at, at a couple different points. It it was also kind of a classically Ben Henderson fight. He won it. It wasn't exactly thrilling. And it left me feeling, all right, we could, are we just going to do this more or less forever with Benson Henderson and Bellator? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Next question. We come to us from Eric Murphy, which also came in uh, through the Patreon, Patreon website. Uh, Sean O'Connell, the once and future author of the podcast, kick-punched his ticket to a possible million dollars. His fight with Vinny, I believe he means uh, Vinny Magalesh. That's right. You uh, see Vinny Magalesh's kind of sweet triangle from standing position? I did not. It was nice. Uh, their fight in the finals is, for me, the first must-watch PFL event. A bunch of other fun stuff happened at PFL 9, and I feel myself getting more and more on board for what they are doing. I think I may even be a fan. God damn, I love tournaments. So, discourse PFL, and if O'Connell wins, can we do the damn book club? No. Some of us own two copies and want to talk about that fever dream of a book. Well, I suggest you just hang around the local library until you find somebody who looks like they, they wandered in and need you to sell them a book because A, you don't need two copies and B, we're not doing that book club. That one is dead to us. At any rate, the finals, right, Ben, at light heavyweight and lightweight are set in the PFL and you got Sean O'Connell versus Vinny Magalesh, which is, uh, uh, you know, if PFL is going to come out with a fairly marketable and interesting light heavyweight final there that's going to at least interest the people inside the bubble, that ain't a bad one, right? It ain't a bad one because of how you got there and because of the stakes that you've set up. Like that, to me, I, I agree with the 
goddamn I love tournaments conclusion here because that it proves to me the value of the tournament and the value of making a big deal out of how much money the winner's going to get. Because if you just came out of nowhere and you were like, hey, PFL has a main event this Saturday night. Who is it? Well, it's Sean O'Connell versus Vinny Magalesh. And you'd be like, okay, I guess I might DVR that one and come back later. Sean O'Connell seems like a good dude, so I want to watch him fight. Vinny Magalesh is a good jujitsu guy for MMA, so I guess I'll check out that fight. But I'm not going to be sitting around weeks beforehand going, man, when is that O'Connell-Vinny Magalesh fight going on? But... Because it's the finals of the tournament, each guy won his way there. Everybody started with an equal chance to make it to the finals. And because they've got this, you know, kind of classic million-dollar prize, like just straight Dr. Evil style, where we're, it's like we're still pretending that a million dollars is all the money in the world. And we're also not even going to think about how after taxes it's going to be, you know, more like 600 and change. But still, you got that, that shining beacon at the end of this tournament. Million dollar prize. They both earned their right to fight for it. Now it feels like a real legit thing. It yeah. feels like it actually fucking matters. Yeah, I hope that that money's in escrow right at this point because <laughs> we're getting down to it. It's gonna be uh, <laughs> it's gonna be time to write the check here before too long. Fifty Cent has Bellator's money. He's walking around with it in a briefcase, right? So that's safe. Yeah, he. I'm sure he has it at the uh, Fifty Cent, the Curtis Jackson Federal Credit Union. I'm sure that that's backed by. Uh, by federal Do you think when they, by the time they crack open that briefcase, it's going to be like in Dumb and Dumber where there's just a bunch of IOUs? Yeah. And it's just like a, a, an empty beer can just rattling around in there. Just a bunch of slips of paper that said, made it rain. <laughs> 200 grand. What about for a guy like me, Ben, that didn't get in on the ground floor of this PFL tournament and therefore feels somewhat left behind by it? Somewhat like... Feel a little unmoored. A yeah, little like lost. like I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I feel like reinterested now that I see that the finals of these two tournaments are coming up. But like in the middle, it was honestly kind of like uh, I'm trying to think of a comparable uh, comparison to make. Like kind of like if you just if you like tune in for a game of the English Premier League and they show the standings and you're kind of like, okay, I don't know who any of these teams are. I don't know what it means if someone's in third place. Kind of felt that way about the PFL tournament. Like I kept seeing names fly by my eyeballs when I was looking at uh, at MMA news websites. I was never sure like where we at, where we were at in the tournaments, what was going on. Now we're at the finals, and I honestly I do feel interested in Sean O'Connell against Vinny Magalesh. And now I feel like if we come back and do this again, if we somehow have another million bucks on our hands uh, for PFL, well, maybe I should pay a little bit closer attention. Maybe you should. Maybe uh, I should. But I don't even think you need to, really. I think it's enough to hear there was a tournament, these are the finals, winner gets a million bucks. I think you can still get some people that way. No, I, don't I think, agree, I don't think yeah. you need them to follow the entire trajectory of it. All right, let's do one more here, and then we'll wrap up uh, listener mail for the week. This one from Ross in Ohio. He writes, I was wondering the other day, about how the flyweight ladies must feel lately. The snub of longtime company gal Joanna Contender uh, when she has had the audacity to request a full training camp and Sarge Eubanks uh, getting then not getting a title shot within a brief amount of time. Uh, with how quick Dana White and company was to strip Nico Montano of the belt, it definitely seems like 
uh, the Chev Champo shirts. That ain't bad, must, honestly. Yeah, that's 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 okay. Uh, had already been printed. Can ladies fighting at 125 trust the UFC right now? Can any fighter? Please discourse. Now, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Shevchenko versus uh, yet yeah, Chick later in the show, Ben. But this is kind of an interesting question just because how things have gone in the women's flyweight division essentially since its invention in the UFC. Uh, we know it's been a little bit rocky. We know it's been a little bit chaotic. Uh, what do you make of the overall scene here? Uh, and uh, are, are we right to uh, to feel bad a little bit for the 125-pound women fighters? Oh, yeah. Well, and the question, can they trust the UFC now? I think we would have probably felt like we knew the answer to that even before this. But this whole episode and a, a few things recently really have made you feel like when you sign those bout agreements, it's kind of like when you sign the contract in general, it obligates you to the UFC, but does not necessarily obligate the UFC to you. Yeah. They can, they feel like they can kind of shred those whenever they want and get you to sign on for this fight. And then if they decide they have a better idea or they need to, to shift some things around, they seem to have no problem yanking it out from under you and letting you find out on Twitter. What about the character arc of Sahara Eubanks here? Um, she went from being somewhat resented, I think by MMA fans as the, you know, not, not for any fault of her own, but just like as the person who was inserted into the, uh, Valentina Shevchenko title fight instead of Joanna Jacek, turn that around. Suddenly champies back in. Now I believe Eubanks has been booked against Roxanne Modafferi on the undercard of two thirty. Yeah. Now I see that news and I'm kind of like, oh, well, now I feel bad for her. Like as before, I was disappointed that she was fighting for the title. Now I'm like, well, that sucks. Yeah. So like uh, kind of a swerve there in terms of how we feel about uh, about Eubanks. Yeah, but then there was really – you're right that there was a little bit of a resentment feeling, but it was not because of anything that she – it was like, you know, she was just the – you had one gift in mind for – that was going to be under the tree on Christmas morning, and you come out there, and there was, you know, a nice sweater. Yeah. Like a, like a perfectly fine sweater. And yeah. you need a sweater. You know that when you're honest with yourself. You know you need that sweater, but it's not a Nintendo. Yeah. And you were hoping for a Nintendo. Like you really wanted the WWF wrestling ring for your wrestling figures, and instead your dad got you an acoustic guitar? Well, the acoustic guitar is not bad. I'm not speaking from personal experience over here or anything (laughs) like that. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That just keeps getting bigger and better. It comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on all the stuff that we miss on the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. You get the chance to hear a little bit more of me and Ben talking. Certain weeks, you get the chance to peek inside our text conversations uh, from our very own phones. It's a lot of fun. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. We haven't even sent each other any nudes yet. No nudes. Hopefully no nudes show up in the in the Breakfast of Champions. I got to think we would get a lot of unsubscribes. You got to you got to keep the suspense going though. Maybe this will be the nudes week. Fast track to the unsubscribes. Anyway, that's going to do it. We will be right back with round number 1. Ben, it's official. Coming up in January, Fedor Emelianenko versus Ryan Bader 
in the finals of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. Both guys advanced there after pretty lopsided fights in the semifinals. Obviously, uh, Fedor Emelianenko defeated Chael Sonnen via first round TKO. Uh, and Ryan Bader defeated Matrione uh, via unanimous decision. Very lopsided unanimous decision there if you look at the actual scores. Um, where are you at on this, man? If if I don't want to jinx them. I don't want to jinx the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix at this point. But with the finals now set for January, it seems like it's it has a good chance to come off as scheduled. Yeah, it really Weirdly does. enough. And... What better scenario could you have ended up with if you're Bellator? There was no better scenario for me personally, since you will recall that before the tournament began, I said if I had to pick someone in the bracket, I would take Ryan Bader. And here we are, Ben, staring down the barrel of a Bador Emelianenko final. And can we all agree that we can just go ahead and say Fedor versus Bador? Because it's fun. I know that's not how Bader's last name is pronounced. But come on, it's too fun. I mean, I'm clearly on board, yeah. right? I'm all about it. It doesn't take that much for you. Uh, okay, I think that not only is it a good final to end up with because you got, you know, a existing champion in another weight class, one of the younger fighters in the tournament to begin with, like you actually have a future with Ryan Bader. And then he's going to fight a legend in Fedor who has kind of rejuvenated himself, you know, you could pick apart how he's managed to do it in this tournament if you want to. Like he knocks out Frank Muir, he beats up a blown up middleweight and Chael Sonnen, but still, he fought his way to the finals in this thing. People don't need that much of a push, I feel, to get excited about Fedor all over again. Right. And then you throw him in there where Fedor is trying to get another heavyweight title this late in his career, one last taste of glory for Fedor, and then Ryan Bader out there trying to become a champ, champ. Either way, it works out. You got something that feels like it was a meaningful purpose to this whole exercise. Plus, you just got us excited about something in Bellator, which is half the battle. Right. It sure feels like this might go down as the year of the champ champ. Uh, well, this fight don't take place in January, right? Yeah. So it'll be technically next year, but okay. It's kind of like when the Super Bowl happens right. in January. He's still considered part of the previous season. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit both about the Fedor versus Sonnen fight. Uh, and then maybe a little bit more about Ryan Bader and his gamble of crossing the aisle over to Bellator, which at this point, frankly, seems like it's paid off for him. It seems like a great idea. So uh, the Emelianenko Sonnen bout, kind of a reminder in my opinion, oh yeah, what we have here is a heavyweight against a middleweight, despite the fact that they were you know reasonably close in weight. It I was like nine pounds. Fedor was nine pounds heavier than Sonnen at the weigh-in. Power-wise, this clearly was a matchup that did not favor Chael Sonnen. He gets dropped with an uppercut pretty much right off the bat. Uh, he had trouble securing the takedowns, so though he did get a, get a couple. Uh, then he had trouble controlling Fedor on the ground. He sure did. Uh, let's talk briefly about the somersault, because okay. I know like that uh, caused a, a stir online. Uh, clearly, there is a... I don't know if you would call it a sweep, but there's like a roll that you yeah. do from the top... That's a legitimate move that Sonnen was going for here against Emelianenko. Seems like a really weird thing to do. And yet, Chael Sonnen doing really weird stuff out there in the cage is not necessarily unheard of. That's right. I mean, this is the same guy who tried the spinning back fist on Anderson Silva. 
Right. After, you know, winning the first round of that fight against Anderson Silva, then he went out in the second round, threw that spinning back fist, fell down, and then immediately lost right afterwards. So it's not like it would be the first mental error that Chael Sonnen has no, made in, in a fact, big fight. In fact, mental errors are kind of like Chael Sonnen's thing. Yeah. That's kind of like how he loses fights, which is weird a little bit when you think about, like, the kind of dude that he is, or at least the kind of dude that he presents himself as. Uh, but, you know, there were some rumors online, maybe this is a fixed fight. Frankly, I think if you were going to fix it, I feel A, Chael Sonnen would make it look better than he did. I feel like he would not go out there and get jacked in the face immediately. Yeah, that's always the weird thing to me when people start bringing up fixed fights is like, who agrees to that? Yeah, who agrees to get punched in the face by Fedor a bunch of times? If you were going to fix it and you were Sonnen, wouldn't you be like, hey man, remember like when you got slammed by Kevin Randleman and then immediately armbarred him? How about we do something like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, I can kind of sympathize with what Chael Sonnen must have been thinking, though, when he goes for that move. Because you go out there on the first 10 seconds, you find out, oh, shit, Fedor still has that explosive punching power. Yeah. He can still just come up with a left hand from his waist and clip you right on the jaw and put you down. Okay, you don't want to stand with him. You kind of knew that already, but you got an instant reminder of it. Then you're going out there, you're trying to get a takedown, trying desperately to get a takedown. You kind of get ragdolled a couple times and thrown around the cage. Then you finally get one. You get even into like some decent positions where you want to be. Like you get to, uh, he gets, he got the half guard at one point, and he's he's on top. And then he goes for mount, and Fedor just kind of rolls up, like not even a really smooth technical move, but just being like seeing seeing the moment, getting the timing right, and having the power, and just throws him, reverses him right over. And then when he's on top of you, he's doing some damage with the ground and pound. And so like. You're Chael Sony. You knew you already had some limited paths to victory here, and you've watched them get narrower and narrower with every passing minute of this fight. Yeah. And when he's got Fedor in that position, he's probably thinking, I don't know how long I can control this guy like yeah. this. I can't do a whole lot of damage from here. I, I can't get back up, and I, I don't want to let him get back up because that's even worse. I've got to take turn this into a really dominant position for me and try to end the fight from there. And so then, you know, it's ambitious still to go for that roll and try to do that kind of rolling back take. I think he said that he had been able to pull it off like in college wrestling and stuff. But it's also by that point, you guys are sweating pretty good. That one is really tough to pull off because you need to have the the contact so close throughout the entire roll. Otherwise, the guy just lets you flip yourself right over, which is exactly what happened. And so, you know, while it is hopeful for him to go for the, a move like that. It's not completely outlandish, especially given what he had already learned about how they matched up in that fight. Yeah. Uh, it looked like he was a little high on that back mount. Like maybe he looked, he felt like he, he felt was like going to slip gonna off. Anyway. He was yeah. going to, he was going to lose it. Chael Sonnen is nothing if not ambitious and hopeful about his own abilities. Right. So I agree that it was a really weird move to try to do, but if he has had success with it in the past, it's clearly like, within the bounds of frankly what we expect. And if you feel like you're running out of good ideas elsewhere. And you know what? Everybody got to do their stuff. Like when (laughs) I saw Chael Sonnen pre-fight, give the little promo about how everyone was scared of Fedor. And the only thing he could promise is that he was going to show up and be unafraid that he would not be afraid. Kind of felt like, Hey man, Chael's still doing it. He's still kind of got it. He's still a, a terrific talker on the mic. And then Fedor beat him and give him a track suit afterwards, which is a pretty sweet, middle-aged Russian guy thing to do. Absolutely. Here's a tracksuit. 
All right, let's talk for a couple minutes about Ryan Bader here, who obviously uh, is the other half of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix Final. Probably the favorite, I'm just going to guess. Although I have not seen any odds. I don't know if there are odds. Let's talk about Ryan Bader's UFC career, Ben. Clearly the black moment is the back-to-back losses to John Jones and Tito Ortiz back in 2011. Uh, he also loses to Leota Machida and Glover Teixeira and Anthony Johnson. But he departs the UFC on a 7-1 and one run. The loss in there is to Anthony Johnson in January of 2016. But then he actually scores back-to-back wins before leaving to go over to Bellator, uh, where he has not lost. And now he is 4-0 and staring down the barrel of becoming the champ champ as both the 205-pound and the heavyweight champ. This thing, at least inside the MMA bubble, appears to me like it's gone off like gangbusters for Ryan Bader. Like he couldn't have done anything better than go over to Bellator and become arguably like the best fighter in the organization. Yeah. Uh, before we just focus on Ryan Bader, though, I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to Matt Mitrione. Matrione. Do you see his uh, Instagram video reaction to the the loss? I did not. I read the quote from somewhere where he said he rode me like a damn pony, but uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see the Instagram video. Uh, the entire thing, for one thing, he's just really good humored about it, and really like you know not that bummed from what you can tell. Uh, but everything about it is great. Like he's almost he almost has to laugh at how much Ryan Bader just completely dominated him. Here's some quotes from it. I obviously got fucked up there, lost this one. I felt like in the middle of it, I thought to myself, it's the perfect time for a Snickers commercial, because I wasn't going anywhere for 15 minutes. That motherfucker just rode me like a pony, man. He's a great wrestler. I'm not. He took advantage of it and did a great job. Uh, And then later on, at the end of the video, (laughs) he's kind of like going over the damage that he has and how he didn't break his nose. He's pretty happy about that. But shit happens, man. Thanks for supporting me. I'm sorry. I'm just not a great wrestler. It's the way shit works. Thank you, Ryan. Or thank you, Matt Mitrione, for this honest, refreshingly honest, and uh, good-humored assessment of that fight. What do you call it when there's a celebrity couple and you, like, make a mashup contraction of their names? I know what you mean, but I don't know, I don't know if there's a term for that. Matt Mitrione is, like, the only guy I can think of that I have done that with just, his just with him. Doesn't, you know, doesn't have a significant other. Just Matrione. And now you can't really kind of convince yourself that that's not his name. Yeah. Thank, and by the way, nod to Derek Lewis, right? For that one. Yeah. That one's on Derek Lewis. Uh, all right, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I'm just going to do my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Because I don't have a lot to say about it, except that we're talking about Habib Nurmagomedov against Floyd Mayweather Jr. Why are we doing that? Though? Are you fucking kidding me? We all agreed we weren't going to do this again, man. <laughs> like we all got together. And said, no more of this. We're done with it. And now we're back to talking about it again. Although, in what kind of fight? No idea. Are you fucking kidding me? We have to stop talking about this shit right now. Right now. We're done. Like, as soon as you're done talking about it, then we'll all stop? Now. Now. Okay, right now. We're done. Are you kidding me? Jed, my, are you fucking kidding me? You see TMZ caught up with Ronda Rousey. Huh. Did they catch her uh, just out on the street coming out of a, like a shop did. of some kind? Yeah. Uh, they asked her what she thought of uh, everything going on in the UFC, you know, after the Malay uh, at UFC 229. She said that she thinks uh, the UFC needs to stop showing preferential treatment to the big stars. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 uh-huh. cool. Uh-huh. Just going to... Uh, 
It's going to say, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. Just the irony detector didn't even go off. I can't believe that. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, we did end up with a suitable main event that gets people fired up for UFC 230, and it is UFC heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier, the daddest man in the planet, against Derek Lewis, who I think we could we could maybe most uh, appropriately refer to as ribald. He's a ribald fellow. Uh-huh. Knows his way, likes to work a little blue at yeah. times. Yes, Kno- he does. Knows his way around an off-color joke. And because he managed to... Score a comeback knockout against Alexander Volkov, and also, you know, pretty much equally because his balls was hot, he ends up as the man of the moment selected to take on Daniel Cormier for the UFC heavyweight title at UFC 230 next month at Madison Square Garden. Now, when Derek Lewis was trying to kind of think his way through this one on MMA Junkie Radio, we referred to this moment in the Breakfast of Champions where he made a comment along the lines of, you know, if they still want to do the Daniel Cormier fight with Brock Lesnar in January, I don't know why they'd want to have him defend the title against me unless they just think that for sure he's going to beat me. And you felt like that's where you needed the, the alarms to go off and go ding, ding, ding. That's exactly what they think. Yeah. Now... Is that also, does that same ding, ding, ding serve as the wake-up call to the MMA gods? It absolutely does, Ben. And as I said- Is that a dinner bell for the MMA gods? That's right. Uh, Come and get it. It's, as I said in the Breakfast of Champions this past week, that, like, Derek Lewis landing a thunderous right hand on Daniel Cormier and taking the UFC heavyweight title would officially be the most UFC heavyweight division thing ever to happen. Yes. The, the, the fight booking obviously is shocking because it comes out of nowhere. It comes on relatively short notice and it comes amid all of this talk that we were going to do Daniel Cormier versus Brock Lesnar, maybe Daniel Cormier versus John Jones after that. Uh, so I guess seeing him matched up with Derek Lewis is, is, was a surprise to everybody. Now that we've had some time for the shock of it to kind of settle over us, I think it actually kind of makes sense, uh, for both guys in that Daniel Cormier has obviously set a hard and fast end date for his retirement on his 40th birthday. I'm going to say right now that's going to get pushed back a little bit because I think there's too many intriguing possibilities for him still on the game board. But you know he's trying to squeeze in all the paydays that he can. And you know when they called him up and asked him if he wanted to fight Derek Lewis, he probably laughed and said, yeah, man, let's do it. (laughs) For Derek Lewis, it makes sense because I think we all agree – if he was going to tumble in a, into a UFC title fight, this is this was how it was going to happen, either through an injury or a last-minute shakeup where they need somebody to come out there and, and main event UFC 230. But you look at the guy's record, you look at what he's done in the UFC, and it's, it's not totally outlandish that he would fight for the title. He's on a three-fight win streak right now. He's actually, I think, 9-1 and one in his last 10 fights in the octagon. He's lost to Matrione, he's lost to Sean Jordan, and he's lost, to, he's lost to Mark Hunt. But, like... You know, the hook kick thing, the hook kick loss to Sean Jordan kind of feels like it could have happened to anyone. Frankly, (laughs) motherfucking Sean Jordan out here throwing hook kicks. Nobody expects that. No. And then obviously getting getting knocked out by Mark Hunt is uh, another thing that could frankly happen to anybody. So like, I don't know, man. What do you think about the fitness? And I don't mean that as a pun. But what do you think about the fitness of Derek Lewis as as a challenger for the UFC heavyweight title here? 
Here's my question. Who do you think was tougher to convince on this fight? Daniel Cormier or Derek Lewis? Just judging from how quickly this came together and what we know about both guys, I bet they were both pretty short conversations. And I bet they both ended with both guys saying, fuck it. (laughs) Fuck it, let's do it. Like, why not? Well, Derek Lewis was the one talking about how he didn't think he was ready for a title shot. And then when he went on MMA Junkie Radio, he was talking about how, I don't know, maybe if they gave me some more money, I would fight for the title, which is usually not the way it works. I mean, that is, you know, that's part of my my new catchphrase, that's so heavyweight. That is a heavyweight thing where you are talking about, a, hey, do you want a title shot? I don't know, man. Maybe if the money was good, maybe then I would take a title shot. That, to me, tells you kind of what's going on here. As far as his fitness for a heavyweight title shot, obviously we've kind of thrown that out the window if we're already sitting around waiting for Brock Lesnar. Like if that's the thing we're doing and if we're just trying to find a heavyweight contender in the meantime, we've already obviously stopped even considering what do the wins and losses and the rankings and all that other stuff say about who should get the heavyweight title shot. Because if you're Stipe, you're sitting there and you hear about this shit and you feel like somebody is playing a bad practical joke on you. Yeah, in some ways. And again, I mean, I would say the same thing about Miocic that I would say about the possibility of a Conor McGregor, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov rematch. You know, Miocic gets knocked out in the first round, man. Like in a fight where, uh, you know, for for four minutes and 30 seconds of it, it looked like it was going to be pretty competitive. And then Daniel Cormier uh, knocks him out. Time for my catchphrase. That's so heavyweight. That's so heavyweight. That could happen to anybody. But like, I don't know how you justify a rematch there unless you're just saying everybody, everybody gets a rematch when it comes to a title fight. If you're a champion and you lose your title, you get a rematch, especially in the case of Conor McGregor. Like he came in as the challenger, obviously, but like if we wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we kind of wanted you to win. Right. But don't you think that Stipe was telling himself like, all right, they want to do this Brock Lesnar thing. But if for some reason that doesn't work or they're going to do something else beforehand, all right, they'll call me, right? Yeah, they'll definitely call me. They got to call me. Who else are they going to call? If not, they're old, they're old pal Stipe. And then you hear it's Derek fucking well, Lewis. Well, yeah, man. But that, and, but that was before a guy's balls got hot on pay-per-view television, <laughs> which clearly a big part of this, Ben, right, is the UFC kind of trying to catch lightning in a bottle with Derek Lewis made a bit, a bit of a splash at UFC 229, which we have been led to believe a lot of people watched. I know quick turnaround now against Daniel Cormier. I think they're looking to, uh, even in a small way, kind of cash in on that notoriety that Derek Lewis uh, established for himself there. Yeah, and it's probably not a bad bet that that will actually work out. Is the best reason to think that Derek Lewis might win this fight just that it would f- completely fuck up the UFC's plans? If you know anything about MMA and you know anything about the UFC heavyweight division, hell yes. <laughs> if I had money, $20 that I never wanted to see again, Ben, I would rush out this moment and put it down on Derek Lewis to beat Daniel Cormier. Not because I think Derek Lewis is a better fighter than Daniel Cormier. Not because... Uh, you can base the idea of a Derek Lewis victory on anything tangible, but just because, to quote Gus Johnson, these things happen in MMA, and if you know anything about the UFC heavyweight division, best laid plans, my friend. You know, best if, laid plans. If you put your money down right now on the best odds you could find on Derek Lewis, you know what kind of return you could get. You know what you could do with your twenty bucks. What you could turn that twenty bucks into a hundred bucks. I rest my case. <laughs> well. Obviously, it seems like what is most likely to happen 
is that Daniel Cormier is going to go in there. He's going to take Derek Lewis down. He's going to beat him up on the ground. Derek Lewis is going to get tired, and then he's probably going to get submitted. Or he's just going to lay there while Daniel Cormier pummels him, and then it's going to get stopped that way. Can I get a prop bet on whether or not DC body slams Derek Lewis? Oh, at, at least once. At least I would also take that bet. At least once we're getting a slam. I and bet Daniel it's gonna Cormier rattle the whole cage. Is looking at Derek Lewis being like, Can I slam this motherfucker? <laughs> How much does he weigh? Uh also, you gotta think if you're Daniel Cormier. I just saw the guy kind of gas out, you know, a month ago in in this fight with Alexander Volkov, where it wasn't like the pace was super blistering high, even for heavyweight. He even said that his cardio is not that great. He's not going to get it in tip-top shape for a month later, especially because he probably wasn't expecting to turn right around and fight for the heavyweight title. You know, he probably went out and celebrated a little bit after that win. You've got to think, like, if I get through the first round of this, I'm golden. I'm sailing through. Daniel Cormier thinks he can beat Derek Lewis on his worst day. He thinks Derek Lewis shows up on his best day, and I show up on my worst day, I still win. That's what Daniel Cormier thinks. Yeah. I almost guarantee it. Uh, he's also, as I said, probably trying to, to uh, squeeze in another payday. He probably thinks that this is as close to a gimme as you can possibly get. All of which I think is dangerous, a dangerous line of reasoning if you were the UFC heavyweight champion. But I understand how you get yourself there. Ben, remember when Daniel Cormier fought Anderson Silva you know, yes. on short notice? in what was a high stakes fight for Daniel Cormier and kind of like a no stakes fight for Anderson Silva. Pretty conservative. Played uh, it a little safe. Took him down a lot. I wonder if we will see a similar approach here against the Black Beast. Yeah, I think he, he'll probably play it safe for the first round or two. And then once he knows Derek Lewis is tired and not as dangerous, kind of pour it on. Uh, if we learned anything from this uh, Volkov fight is that Derek Lewis can still knock you out when he's super tired. Yeah, but he has to be upright to do it. That's true. That's true. Uh, anyway, hashtag will watch. Yeah, hashtag watch. It's a darn, uh, actually a, like a pretty good card even without Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz on it. You got Luke Rockhold versus Chris Weidman, Jacare versus David Branch, Derek Brunson versus Israel Adesanya. Uh, so yeah, if you were thinking you were going to save your money past UFC 230, think again. You might be plunking down 60 bucks to uh, watch Daniel Cormier against Derek Lewis, weirdly enough. That's going to do it for round number two. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with round number three. Well, Ben... Chief among the out-of-the-cage MMA headlines from this past week include the official return now of Jonathan Dwight Jones. He's going to be taking on Alexander Larzicki Gustafson. Nailed it. Not sure how to pronounce that middle name. Oh, really? On Alexander Gustafson. It's Lars hyphen A with an umlaut uh-huh. K-E. Lars Aki? That's what I said. They're going to be doing the damn thing at UFC 232, Ben, which goes down December 29th at T-Mobile Arena down there in Las Vegas. So now we know John Jones is back, and this fight is going to be for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship, which we are led to believe will be vacant the moment the first punch is thrown in this fight, which I guess is a new thing now that happens in yeah. the UFC. And in this case, 
I think it's ultimately the right thing to do. Yeah. Daniel Cormier is not going to defend that light heavyweight title, it seems, at least not in a timely fashion. You can't just completely hold that belt up. John Jones, even though he was stripped of it and Daniel Cormier won it, it still feels like everybody's looking at John Jones like he's the best light heavyweight in the world. And so you put it up for grabs in the rematch of a fight that was super competitive the first time. I think everything about it, the math checks out. Yeah, I agree with you. And a lot of the intrigue, as you said, stems from this UFC 165 fight, uh, which John Jones won via unanimous decision, but it was, you know, up to that point for sure, his toughest test of his MMA career. Uh, a lot was made in the in the wake of that fight about John Jones maybe not taking Alexander Gustafson all that seriously. Uh, he purported to learn a lesson from that experience, though John Jones has purported to learn many lessons lessons during his UFC career. So many lessons. Lessons uh, just pile up. He will be returning, Ben, to the cage for the first time since July of 2017, so he's been out of action for about a year and a half. Uh, nonetheless, I'm going to go ahead and forecast a big-time John Jones win here. Uh, what are you going to expect when he gets in the cage with Alexander Gustafson? Okay, you say you're, you're forecasting a big John Jones win. Are you expecting this fight will prove that John Jones was totally telling the truth when he was just basically like, I didn't really train for Alexander Gustafson the first time. I suspect that that's on the level. You given think he just runs through him? Well, uh, here's what I think. I think that John Jones is probably telling the truth uh, that maybe he was partying a little bit too much and not necessarily taking Alexander Gustafson all that uh, seriously in the first fight. And I think because of that, John Jones will take this rematch as a personal affront in many ways, uh, because you know that that's going to be a major storyline leading up to UFC 232 was how will be how close the first fight was. The UFC will obviously uh, use that as the most obvious way to sell this fight. Uh, and if we know anything about John Jones, I think it's that he thrives on sort of like a bunker mentality, kind of a me against the world uh, type situation where he can convince himself that he has been wronged in some way here. Yeah. And that he will, uh, it will be very important to him, I think, to come out and show that he is in a different league from Alexander Gustafson. Even if, whether or not you and I believe that as we sit here, John Jones believes it. And I think the most important thing for him, not only getting that UFC 205 pound title back, but proving like we were never close. We were never of the same uh, breed in terms of fighters. And like you were lying to yourself this whole time about how close that first fight was. Send a message to the haters in the process. Yeah, and send a message to Alexander Gustafson, right? They've tangled before on social media. I believe John Jones uh, said something akin to, like, the thing that you're known for is losing to me. Uh, Ouch. Which, yeah, it's true. Uh, so, yeah, I think that he will want to leave no doubt this time around. How much do you think it'll play a part that beforehand everybody talked about, okay, he's finally fighting a guy who is like him physically. John Jones is fighting somebody who is also tall and lanky with a long reach and can kind of play that game a little bit and is a deceptively good wrestler. Uh, now that he's been in the cage with him and regardless of what we think about the quality of his preparation for that fight, he got to see it. He got to find out what it was actually going to be like. Maybe he was even surprised that it did turn out to be a little bit of a factor. Do you think that that plays a role that now that he's seen it, it won't be as meaningful or it won't have as big an impact on the fight? Maybe, uh, you know, I think John Jones is a smart guy. He has a high uh, fight IQ. He comes out of a camp where there are a lot of smart coaches. He works 
uh, as we all know, really closely with Brandon Gibson, who I think is a really smart MMA coach. Uh, and he's one of those guys where you get the feeling that if he gets the opportunity to have a second fight, they're not going to miss out on the lessons that were there to be learned uh, from the first fight. And so, yeah, I expect him to be better prepared. I expect him to be uh, more diligent in his preparations, if for no other reason than to simply prove a point in the rematch. If anything can be said, like in in favor of Alexander Gustafson, maybe it's that Jones is going to come in off this uh, off this year and a half layoff, and you know we've seen him before uh, in his in his comeback fight against well, OSP. Right, he came he came back from a long. Uh, leave of absence from the UFC and didn't necessarily look like the John Jones that we thought we would get back. So uh, Alexander Gustafson, uh, you know, he, he's also been out a long time, but at the same time, uh, if you're going to catch John Jones on an off night, maybe this is the night to do it. Well, or maybe this is the night to catch John Jones when he as at least for this one and for the time being, definitely not partying too much because it seems like the, the cycle has gone. Okay. Fuck up your whole good situation, get serious, really focus up, go out there and, you know, prove a point, then gradually get back to fucking up. Right. Which is an entirely human thing to do, right? As much as we all like to dump on John Jones and as much as, you know, it's hard to defend John Jones at this point just because he's made so many damn mistakes. But like, I think a lot of people in their heart of hearts can identify with that. Yeah. With the, well, I'm going to get in really good shape now, man. Like I'm going to, you know, go to the gym every day. And then you go every day for a month and you're like, you know what? I'm going to have a cinnamon roll. <laughs> Life is too short not to have that cinnamon roll or, you know, a bunch of Coke. But the, the thing I remember about that was that the OSP fight, uh, where Daniel Cormier was cage side commentating on John Jones's fight with, with OSP. Was that the one? Oh, it must have been, right? Because that's the only fight that John Jones has had that wasn't against Daniel Cormier since 2014. And Daniel Cormier was kind of saying, man, I wish I could have fought this John Jones. (laughs) Like, I wish, you know, I wish I would have been able to take this fight. This John Jones, I could, I wouldn't mind getting in the the cage with. Uh, If you're Alexander Gustafson, though, you can't be hoping for that. Like, you've got to be thinking he's going to go in there and try to, to prove a point against you. And yet at the same time, like, History would seem to indicate maybe your best hope is yeah. that John Jones is just a little bit rusty. It's also been a kind of a long time, I feel, since we saw John Jones the wrestler. You know what I mean? He's he's like had a bunch of kind of stand-up oriented fights here recently. And uh, one of the reasons for that, obviously, is that two of his most recent fights have been against Daniel Cormier, who's a guy that you don't want to go out there and wrestle with. I wonder if that changes a little bit against Alexander Gustafson, just because you'll recall that... Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, leading up to that Alexander Gustafson fight, John Jones had been a guy who would go out, immediately take you down, and just smash you. Uh, Wasn't Gustafson the first person to take him down? He was, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he kind of got out of that habit, uh, uh, kind of against Alexander Gustafson, and maybe he couldn't take Alexander Gustafson down for whatever reason, and since then has, has had a lot of uh, mostly stand-up oriented fights. I wonder if we see John Jones take things back to basics uh, against Alexander Gustafson in this rematch, and if he'll come out with a game plan to put him on his back and 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 do work, which is the most impressive thing that John Jones could do during the early part of his career. Yeah. What else you want to talk about? Any other fights coming up here? Do you want to talk about? Oh well, uh, yeah. I guess we spent this whole Shevchenko. damn round. We were going to talk about uh, Shevchenko versus Yedjechik real quick. I guess. 
Yeah, let's spend a couple minutes on that. It's the fight we all wanted to begin with, then the fight that was snatched away from us, and now we get it after all. So uh, I don't know how we're feeling about it at this point besides uh, perhaps a feeling that something that once went wrong has been set right. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe we have to wait until we actually see the fight happen until we can safely say that. But yeah, and it does now, like the feeling that the UFC has just been waiting to go ahead and anoint Shevchenko as the women's flyweight champion does seem to have settled in. Like that seems to be the conventional wisdom among the the MMA fans. Do you think that that's true? It sure seemed that way, right? Like especially once... Does it seem less that way though when you book her against Jan Jacek? Uh... I don't know, man. It seems to me like the UFC got frustrated and they got pro- pro- they got f- frustrated with a couple of different aspects of this division. Clearly, they kind of grew tired of waiting for Nico Montano to, to defend her title uh, for reasons that seemed largely beyond her control, frankly. Uh, and then, you know, when when they booked Shevchenko versus Eubanks, I have no idea what was going on there. I don't know if it was a... Uh, like a negotiating ploy that Sarah Eubanks unfortunately got used as a a pawn. Uh, And then we wind up again with Yedjaychik kind of coming back into the fold here. Uh, It feels like they, they at least understand the urgency to make a cool fight at 125 pounds. Maybe like uh, maybe they were taken aback by the response to the announcement of uh, Shevchenko versus Eubanks. But like, I don't know. Like, we'll probably never know the actual reason for why this happened, but it feels like we're going to get a marquee fight at women's flyweight, which I think is is kind of good at this point. Yeah. It's a division that needs a marquee fight right now. Does it ever. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff? Chad, have you heard that uh, Mike the Truth Jackson says he was contacted by the UFC about a fight? I saw that headline. I did. Yes, I'm kind of just saying, well, well, well. You come crawling back to Mike Jackson, don't you? But I'm also just saying I need you to listen to this quote uh, where I think Mike Jackson is kind of underappreciated for his Mike skills in a weird way. I'm pretty big in Canada. I had a lot of guys reach out. Man, you suck. I want to fight you. Like a lot of them. And then I had one guy. He was so bold. He contacted a promoter to contact me to set up a fight. And I'm like, dude, what part of we can't fight don't you comprehend? I've got Aaron Chalmers, the British Jersey Shore guy. Now, I like what he's doing. See, he's funny. I like him. I like his approach. But he even had his manager. Actually, this is my response to your email, Aaron Chalmers' manager. Don't email me anymore. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just saying, it would be the worst thing to have Mike Jackson around in the UFC. No, I agree with you. Uh, Ben, this week, I'm just saying, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the uh, video, the backstage meeting between Fedor Milanenko and Chael Sonnen, where Fedor gives... Chael Sonnen, a t-shirt and a tracksuit that belong, we think, to Fedor Emelianenko. I'm just saying, is it just me or is that like kind of a backhanded gesture? You go out there, you whip a guy's ass, and then you give him your tracksuit as if to say, you will definitely want to remember the night that you met up with Fedor Emelianenko. Take this home and put it in a shadow box, Chael Sonnen. (laughs) Hang it from your wall in your hallway of memories. It's kind of a dick move, isn't it? No. You think that it's like a, you should be so lucky to get your hands on a Fedor tracksuit. Well, that's what Fedor is thinking, right? Do you think Chael Sonnen sees it that way? Because Chael Sonnen is kind of like, I'll give this to my son as he walks away from from this exchange. It seemed to me like Chael Sonnen kind of knew, yeah, I'm not going to take the tracksuit of the man that just whipped my ass and like 
hang it in my closet or a middle-aged know, wear Russian it down man, to Mean Street Pizzas. A middle-aged Russian man gives you his tracksuit. That is the highest honor. He I can guess give. maybe that's true. I guess cultural differences could explain. There you go. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week. I think that there's a UFC coming up, right? Moncton. Yeah, we'll be up there in uh, Moncton. We were the always helpful Canadian fans hit us up via email this week to let us know Moncton, not Moncton. Probably just going to keep saying Moncton. Yeah, I'll probably say it the way that we'll always say it. Anyway, uh, you'll want to be here for that one. We'll probably talk about some other stuff too. Odds are some crazy shit will happen in the next week or so. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You're saying Fedor gives you a tracksuit. You're like, nah. Fedor gives me a tracksuit. I'd be over the moon, man. But I'm not Jail Sauna. I didn't just fight the guy. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but still. I mean, maybe in the moment you're like, I don't really understand what's happening. And then you wake up in the morning, you see it draped over the chair in your hotel room, and you're like, that's fucking Fedor's tracksuit. Holy shit. Maybe when Chael Sonnen is an old man, he holds that tracksuit in his hands and he remembers the glory days. He remembers the night that he went toe-to-toe with the last emperor. I'm just saying, I think that we're underestimating like how bad it sucks to lose. Do you think that Fedor walked out of there going, man, that guy was so rude, he didn't even give me a tracksuit. I thought we were going to do a tracksuit. Well, I think Sonnen did end up giving him a shirt. Okay. They, they met up again and he handed him a shirt. Sonnen had also made fun of that t-shirt. Remember when he's like, Fedor shows up at the stare down, he doesn't say anything, he wears a t-shirt nobody can read. Now that t-shirt belongs to Chael Sonnen. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs>